Welcome to the New Missions Podcast, helping you live life on mission, right where you are and wherever you go. And on today's episode, I have a conversation with my role model missionary, my mom. That's right. Today, we get to hear stories and reflections of 40 years of new missions. Let's enjoy this conversation with Jeannie Detellis Loudon. It's an honor to be with my mom today. Mom, thank you for taking the time to share with us some stories of the past and the founding years of New Missions, but also reflections of 40 years. I know that you were there, but you also have experienced some of the Haiti that has changed. Do you remember how poor it was in Nepali when we first arrived? Absolutely. I can remember seeing a child walking down the dirt road in Haiti, and she has a leaf in her hand, and she's going to a hut of a woman who has a commercial-sized can of tomato paste open, and she buys one tablespoon of tomato paste that's put on that leaf, and she carries that home to her mother to make an accent in the sauce for the rice and beans that they're going to eat that one meal that day. One tablespoon of tomato paste. They couldn't afford a cup. Oh, no. And, and that was really elaborate back then because sometimes they didn't even have the rice or they didn't have the rice and the beans or they didn't have a little oily sauce with an onion or anything in it to um, make it even tastier. I remember when arriving in Haiti and the poverty was so great, even children would say if they could even just have some cornmeal, that rice was actually a higher level of status in those days. And now they're butchering cows and progress has come to those villages. But mom, one of the things about poverty is, you know, it's not just hunger, but it's a spiritual poverty. How dark was it spiritually in Haiti? Um, the stress of the darkness was real. I can probably explain that and that when there was a missionary there by the name of Kim Carroll in 1985, we could feel that darkness so heavy that we agreed that the two of us would wake up at 5 a.m. every morning, go over to the church, and pray for one hour. And when we prayed, the darkness that we felt was released. And then we felt the full lightness of God in our lives that we could go out and minister for the day. Um, so the only thing that you could do with that darkness is pray. Because as you pray, God dispels the darkness. But the darkness was there because they didn't know about Jesus. They were just living in fear, living in fear of what evil spirit they had made angry that caused the problem in their relationship or their guidance or sickness in their bodies. So they were living in fear. And Jesus tells us not to fear. He is the light of the world. And now reflecting back on 40 years of new missions, there are some lives that you were close to that you have seen changed. Are there any stories that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I'd like to... Um, share a story, and basically these stories show that, you know, God is in control, and we do our part, but he's the one who builds the kingdom and the work. 
And one story is a strange story. It's really a story of a regret I have as a missionary. The girl's name is Jacqueline John Paul, and she was a teenager suffering with a kidney disease. She did have a father in the United States that was trying to get her to the States, but that never happened. So I would visit with Jacqueline almost on a daily basis and try to encourage her in the Lord. And then I was so determined that she get healed that I went on a 40-day fast of just eating once a day, praying for Jacqueline and visiting her and helping her to memorize scriptures. I can remember at one point Jacqueline was so sick with the kidney disease, but yet she had a desire to taste a piece of ham. So when I went into the city, I got her a piece of ham. I brought it to her. She put it in her mouth, but she was so sick, she just spit it out. Well, I was believing for her healing, but the day came and they said, please come to Nepali. Jacqueline John Paul is dying. And I loved this girl so much, and I was believing for God to heal her that I was afraid to go and be with her when she was dying. And they came and they said to me, all she did was quote all the scriptures that she learned with you when she went to be with the Lord. So my biggest regret in Haiti that I was not cheering Jacqueline on when she went home to be with the Lord. Because when someone dies, it is no loss. It is just, I'll see you later, because that's our destiny for those that know the Lord. The other young girl that was the same age as Jacqueline John Paul was Mari Jo Shouse, beautiful, tall girl. And she was in my business class at the Caribbean um, Bible Institute. And somehow Mary Jo Charles got to come to Florida, and she's living in West Palm Beach. And I just saw her son at Florida International University behind the pulpit preaching a great sermon. And I'm saying, God, I didn't know you did that. And here I see Mary Jo Charles living for God in West Palm Beach, Florida, and also her son, who is now a preacher. And more and more, I feel in my heart, if there are any Haitians in Florida, I need to make sure that they can be femme, that they stay close to God and, and live for the Lord. So that's just two stories of Jacqueline and Mary Jo. There's also a story that I vividly remember of Madame Delva. Madame Delva was an elderly woman with probably about 10 children, and she was due with child, and I went to her home to help her in the delivery, and I had my Creole handbook, I had my Creole Bible, but then she invited the voodoo woman into the home at the same time, and they had strings on shells, and they were running the shell on the string across her uh, stomach area where you could see the bulge of the baby. And then they were lighting candles and dripping wax. And finally, I had the courage to say to Madame Delva, I want to help you and be with you on the delivery of your baby. But you need to choose either to have me here or to have your voodoo friends here. Because if something happens to the baby, I don't want you to blame it on my God. And she made the decision to have me stay. That was a real 
breakthrough. Now, Madame Dalva never accepted the Lord, and that was like early back in the 80s. Because back in the 80s, whenever a woman was having a baby, she would call one of the missionaries. And they were just so grateful because we would come with sterile supplies. They did have some woman that knew how to do it, and they would tell us how they would take a string and they would iron that string with the charcoal iron to, to, to sterilize it. So even though these women were illiterate, we did have classes for them at our clinic. And we taught them with songs what to do, how to wash, how to prepare for the delivery of the baby. So we trained up midwives so that we did not have to go ourselves. And we gave them sterile little package knives and cords and gave them everything that they needed to do it. But for years, Madame Delva, I urged her to come to church and she never would budge. She was just stubborn. She was just rebellious. She was a close relative of the voodoo priest in the village. But when I went back in 2019 on a midweek service, there she was jumping with joy as a true Christian. So, you know, it's God that does the work. And we may never see it. We may never know about it. But we just keep doing our part and taking the next step. But I believe in glory. We'll get to see everything that God has done in Haiti. Most of your time as a missionary mom, it seems as if it's sowing seeds, it's planting. When it comes to loving others, serving those children and those moms and those families through the church and school, how are you planting in their lives seeds of, of hope? Because I know that the gospel was new to them. They didn't know Christianity. They were practicing voodoo. But what was it that you were doing that let them see that you were planting into them the idea that Jesus loved them? Even we as Christians still have to stir up our faith to believe. How do you believe in someone you don't see who makes these promises to you and the word of God? There's nothing else if you don't believe, and it's more difficult not to believe than to believe. But with the Haitians, it was just a harvest field ready because the only thing that they believed in was fear. They believed in fear because they were experiencing starvation, they were experiencing disease, they were experiencing hardship. So they believed in fear. And so when we arrived and we started showing them not our love, it wasn't our love, it was God that loved them and we felt God's love. And so as we began to feed them and educate them and, and care for their sicknesses, they saw something different. They didn't see fear. They began to see the love of God. That gave us the leverage. It was also, I felt, an emotional responsibility for me as a missionary because these mothers, I was their age where most of our missionaries were young people like in their early 20s. And when I started ministering to them, I knew that if I didn't give them the gospel, who would? So I had to be prepared, I had to be ready, and I had to be faithful. And it was wonderful to see breakthroughs of women 
coming to the Lord and having that freedom from fear and having the joy of the Lord and living the abundant life. Reflecting on the purpose of New Missions, I've seen that since 1983, we have been preaching the gospel, but then the measurement of success has been discipleship. The disciple making in Haiti now is really happening by this next generation of Haitians that once didn't know the gospel, but today they're not only living it, but they're actually teaching it. And now they're making disciples through the churches and the schools. Are there any stories that you could share about Haitians in Haiti today that are making disciples and and raising up this, even the second and third generation? We have a woman, Marie Momain, from La Salle, and she's my age. She has her son, Kendi, who's in high school. And three years ago, he was just walking through the village, and he heard the music coming from the church, and they were having a crusade. And he walked into the church, and he accepted the Lord. And this month in Haiti, Kendi was preaching at the chapel service, and to see the next generation coming along is um, is showing what God is doing. And he's doing it to the next generation and the next generation. And they're doing a beautiful job of preaching and teaching the word of God. One of the things that your dad always wanted in Haiti was a Bible school because he felt like Without a Bible school, there was no continuity of the gospel. There was no future for the mission if we weren't raising up more people to preach the gospel. So there was a time when we had a young man from the States come to work as our Bible school director. But it was very difficult to apply. He was a graduate of Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And he was trying to apply the same curriculum in Haiti, and it just wouldn't work. So finally, Dad said, if we have a Bible school in Haiti, we have to have it culturally appropriate for what the needs are for the Haitian people. So we needed more practical courses. Well, that person left the mission field, and then Dad said, we're just all too stretched out. We can't have a Bible school. Maybe we'll just select one person to go to the city. And I says, oh, no, no, we have to have the Bible school. I'll give up some of my other responsibilities, and we'll keep the Bible school going. So thank God. um, We really beefed up the Bible school back in 1995, and we had business courses and education courses. And some of the leaders that we have today were our first graduates of that Caribbean Bible Institute. Do you have any reflections on the Bible college in Haiti and how it helped train up new leaders to serve churches and to start churches? The sacrifice of our men and women going to the Bible school is remarkable. I can remember Pastor Joseph from Tibukan living way up on the mountain, and he would work all morning, and then when he would walk down the mountain— take a tap-tap to the Bible school, and then after, at the end of the day, have to go all the way back and climb up to the mountain. And many of our men and women worked and then came for the afternoon classes. 
And it's not that they had any of the amenities of a Bible school. There is not a library. We have not been able to give them books for their curriculum. They have to copy notes from the teacher. But more and more, we're going to be asking God to help us to give books personally that the Bible school students take and begin to build up their own library. Because in Haiti, it's impossible to maintain a library. Um, There isn't electricity there. There's not computers. But we want to build up the personal library of each of our Bible school students so they have the tools. And they are great, great preachers. Do you have any other reflections or stories of 40 years you'd like to share with us today? You know, COVID is something that never existed. And now since it has existed, a lot of people have stories about COVID. So I have a little story about the mission and COVID. When COVID came, we were very concerned what would happen in Haiti, you know, that Haiti would be wiped out. But I just want to thank God that when COVID came, None of our students got COVID. We educated them as far as what to do about their health. And thank God COVID did not hit us in Haiti with our students or with our leaders. But I have a a testimony to give how God provided for the mission during COVID. And that when COVID hit, I can remember the 1st of April, 2020, my son Timothy came to the home and he said, Mother, COVID has hit hard now. And we're going to just pay all the salaries of our workers and teachers and pastors in Haiti and the Dominican Republic, and we're going to feed all the families. And I went to bed that night, and I said, God, how are you going to do that? The churches in America are closed. They're not taking in offerings. We won't be getting offerings from the churches, and now we're going to be paying all of our teachers and pastors and leaders in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. How are you going to do that, God? And I went to bed very troubled and fearful. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, God woke me up and he said, I want you to write a check, the biggest check I have ever written. I want you to write that check and give it to a mission A mission I don't know, a mission that I have never been to. And I wrestled with the Lord from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m., asking him, well, God, could I give that money to our community health center in the Dominican Republic? Because, God, you know, we don't even take in 10 percent to cover the cost of giving free medical ministry there. So I argued and wrestled with God, and finally at 7 a.m., I said to my husband, Ted, Ted, please give me the name and address of that mission in Myanmar. I need to write them a check today. And I obeyed God. God taught me during COVID that he is the one that speaks to people, and then people that love Jesus, they obey God, they obey what they feel, and they open their hands largely and widely, and they give to the kingdom of God. And at the end of the first month, 
Timothy said to me, Mom, we had enough this month to pay all our expenses, to feed all the families, to pay all the salaries, and God provided for us, and he will provide for his work to be built for eternity. He builds the work. Amen. And mom, during that season, I believe even in my own heart, we needed to stay steadfast in the mission and we will. 40 years is a long time, but it's also a beginning. The next 40 will be just as exciting. We'll stay steadfast in preaching the gospel and making disciples. Um, Any final comments you'd like to share today as we reflect on 40 years? Oh, I think the next 40 years are going to be so exciting because the next generation, they are really ready. And not only are they ready in Haiti, but you know, the next generation is already throughout the world and they're preaching the gospel. And I'm so happy that I have a Haitian from Nepali right next door to me that I get to see. And there are Haitians everywhere that have accepted Christ and the building the work of the Lord. Yeah, the next 40 will be very exciting to see the gospel spread. Well, Mom, thanks for taking the time today. We love you. We celebrate you and your faithfulness. You've been a role model missionary, but you know and I know that we love missions everywhere. Uh, Missionaries serving all over the world, uh, not just through new missions. We pray for God's work to continue to impact lives in every country. And we are thankful for what God's doing in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. To God be the glory. I'm going to just add a word for the Dominican Republic. Sure. I know I have talked a lot about Haiti because I went there at a young age and spent so much time there and deeply love those people. But the very same testimony is going on in the Dominican Republic. And what I see in the Dominican Republic is the leadership there has been led by the Holy Spirit to inspire the young people to memorize the Word of God. And so we have have seen groups of young people memorize the whole book of Ephesians and now memorize the first six chapters of Genesis. And we see this new generation being so equipped and inspired by the Word of God that it's very exciting to see this explosive growth take place in the Dominican Republic. Amen. We rejoice in what's happening all across New Missions and in missions everywhere around the world. I love you, Mom. Thanks for listening to the New Missions podcast. Today's conversation reminds us to be the missionary wherever we are. And I want to invite you to join New Missions in helping with some special projects that are priorities across our campuses in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Simply visit newmissions.org forward slash projects. That's newmissions.org forward slash projects. Let's remember that your mission field is right where you are and wherever you go.